0: As is patently obvious for everyone who is awake in any fashion, we are in the midst of a cultural earthquake right now. There is so much going on that is unsettling and unknown, and so we've been looking for a couple months now at Hebrews 10.39 which says that there is, this is, right now, this is not a time to shrink back and be destroyed. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. By this time, we're just saying that's not for the, just for the book of Hebrews, that's for us. We own that. We are saying that's us. We are not those people. We are not going to be those people. By the power of the Holy Spirit and by the dedication of ourselves over and over to who God is, we are not going to be a people who are shrink back and are destroyed. So we got to look for those things that are threats, and we got to look for the opportunities. And there are many opportunities right now. And as I was praying this week, and in some ways it's kind of culminating the series as we've looked at a number of different threats that are coming our way, Let's take some time and soak in a massive opportunity that God has right in front of us. And as I was praying, just felt like two words came to mind, hope and zeal. That God is giving us an opportunity to let hope rise and to let zeal become an unquenchable fire in our belly. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That is a word from the Apostle Paul to a tiny group of persecuted Christians who were facing more adversity than... And had more of a cultural earthquake in their context going on than we have by far. And yet, because of who God is, the Apostle Paul has a confidence that that tiny little group of persecuted Christians can abound in hope. Overflow. Why? Because God is always hopeful. May the God of hope... Fill you with his hope so that you abound in hope. God is always hopeful. He's confident in his good news. He's confident in his kingdom. He's confident in what his Holy Spirit can do. So God always has hope, and he wants to pass that hope onto us and fill us up to such a degree we are abounding in hope. It's a picture of a fountain overflowing in hope. So this is not a verse that applied to them, but not to us. So this is a healthy challenge to call us to a dependence upon God. Because this is possible no matter our circumstances. In fact, what I would say that this verse teaches us is that if we are not filled with hope, we are believing at least one of the enemy's lies we got to sit on that. If we're not filled, abounding, overflowing with hope, then something is, is clogging the fountain, so to speak. Something's kind of blocking it. Something's put a, 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 a drain in it, maybe. Whatever analogy you want to picture. It's, an, it's a lie of the enemy. If we're not abounding in hope, then something in our heart, mind, and spirit right now, is, is believing a lie of the enemy. And all of us have this. And so this is not a like, oh, woe is you. This is more of the reality of we get to be hopeful. We, there's good news that as we declare our dependence on God and regularly come to Him, there's the, the good news that we know that His will, God's will, is to fill us with his hope. And that's a process. That's a journey. So what I'm trying to say is there's no condemnation here for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's good news that as hopeless as you might be today, the God of hope wants to fill you with hope. Or as even if you have hope, there is more hope that's possible so that you're abounding in hope. God is full of hope. And he wants to pass it on to us in greater measure. So I I like this. I like this healthy challenge for my own life, for my own heart, that despair is not God's will. Discouragement is not God's will. Feeling like there's no way things are going to get better is not God's will. And how do you read this verse and say that? May the God of hope fill you to where you're abounding in hope. So we get to constantly come back. What is God's will? Oh, I know it. It's that I would so connect with the reality of his nature and who he is and his power and his his kingdom and what he wants to do that now I'm abounding again. I can splash it out on others. I can fill up others. and then secondly zeal may hope rise and may zeal rise Luke 12:35 Jesus begins to speak of after he leaves this interim period between his resurrection and his return again What should our perspective be as followers of Christ? Where do we fix our minds? How do we put in our hearts and our thoughts and our minds expectations that are in line with God and God's will? And so Jesus begins this story A parable, that's a little bit too long for today. I want to just start off with what he said that is a mighty meal in itself. He starts this whole discourse with just blazing words of fire. And in some sense, a summary of Jesus' whole perspective of what should we do as we're awaiting the return of Christ. And he says this, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Stay dressed for action. The literal Greek is gird your loins, like prepare for battle, like tighten up your belt and get ready because you are going to have an enemy that's coming your way, and you've got to be ready to fight. And keep your lamps burning. You know what stands out about both of those things? Jesus puts them in your court. These are your responsibility. Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamp burning he doesn't say yeah i'm coming back so just kind of lay down on the bed and take it easy when god's ready he'll dress you and he'll throw some fire in your lamp no i love it this is called a real relationship with god this is called personal responsibility this is called if you want to see a change in the world then let the holy spirit work in you so that you are the change in the world. There's no such thing as a lazy, apathetic Christian that's just waiting for Jesus to return. There's no such thing as one that's in God's will. <laughs> Jesus says, get ready for battle. Stay ready for battle, and you keep your lamp burning. So that means it's on us to learn what it takes in our own life to keep ourselves ready for action. Because there's times we are like, I don't feel really ready for action right now, right? I feel like I have an enemy attacked. I'd, I'd, I'd probably get beat up today okay that's fine it's a journey but it's also on you to take the responsibility to say jesus told me i got to learn how to stay ready for action to gird my loins to have a sword ready if you will that i'm ready to fight for his kingdom to advance and jesus told me to keep my lamp burning that's my responsibility so i've got to learn i've got a journey what does it look like how do i keep my lamp burning how do i stay on fire for god and when the fire kind of gets a little dim, do, what have I learned? Do I know what gets that fire blazing again? These are things that are critical to every Christian. Why? Because Jesus said, do it. So between the two, hope and zeal, I think there's a really good picture of, of God's gracious relationship with us. One, is that we cast ourselves at the throne of grace and say, God, do it. Holy Spirit, fill me up. I need the hope of God to fill me. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do in me and be what I can't do on my own. That's the life of grace. And there's also real relationship in that relationship with God, that life of grace where Jesus says, and there's responsibility on your part within the life of grace, to take ownership, to keep your lamp burning, to stay dressed and ready for action. And I love it. That's that's a picture of real relationship with God. It's both on you and on God. You have responsibility, and God will do the impossible. God calls you to action, and he promises his Holy Spirit to do what you can't do for yourself. This is real relationship all throughout the Bible. So hope and zeal, those are our opportunities that are before us. And why those two words in particular? What is their hopeful, what what should we be hopeful about in particular right now? What should we be zealous about right now? And the words that are on my heart and on many minds, and I know my wife's been praying about this, and our prayer team's been praying about this for years. It's awakening. Awakening across the land. And we have a rich heritage of awakenings where the Spirit of God has moved on hungry and needy, broken people in the midst of dark times. And those awakenings had a massive impact on the creation of, the formation of, and the reformation of our nation. There is a history of revivals and awakenings. You cannot cannot look genuinely into the history of the United States of America and not be struck by how revivals have played a significant course throughout. It's really remarkable, actually. And so I want to just briefly take us through a few times in which the Spirit of God has brought an awakening to this land that has renewed hope and renewed zeal. And I believe that is our hope once again. That is what we should be zealous about once again. That is what we should be preparing ourselves for action for. That's what we should be keeping our lamps burning for. That's what we should be throwing ourselves on the throne of grace and praying for. God, give me a hope for this again in our land. And I want to just look at a few of them because those are testimonies of what God's done that are meant to encourage us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he's done it before, he wants to do it again. And that we can put our hope there and we can put our zeal there. So historians often say there's three or four great awakenings in the U.S., but I want to go back even further in some ways, I think it's kind of misnamed. I think there was a great awakening before the great awakening. There was an awakening of Christianity in America that absolutely paved the way for what became the United States of America. And if you are a genuine historian, you've got to say that the United States would not exist without this awakening. So let's go back to 1620, that in the massive, in, in the midst of Massive persecution, one, one small church out of Scrooby, England, made a hopeful and zealous step. There was about 125 adult members of a, of a church in Scrooby, England, that under King James, they were facing massive persecution Across the land, the Protestant reformation or awakening was taking place, had taken place. And as a result, the, the Church of England, King James, who had made himself essentially both both monarch and pope, kind of the, both the civil magistrate authority and the religious authority, he decided in himself to combine those into one because he was that awesome. And it was a disaster, And so great persecution is breaking out upon the Protestant church. And so this one church, we'll just take their example. There was lots of churches. But this church from Scrooby, England, who was meeting in the home of William Brewster because they had to go underground because of the violent persecution that was heading their way. So King James found out what they were doing, so raids the house, and they flee. They flee to Leiden, Holland. Well, King James was not happy happy with this crew and what William Brewster was writing and publishing. And he became a professor in in Holland and and was quote-unquote writing dangerous materials about a personal relationship with Christ where you don't need the Pope to have a connection with God or you don't need the King of England to have a connection with God. This crazy idea of salvation that includes the Holy Spirit so that you can have a personal relationship with God without an intermediary. Those dangerous writings were going to get these people killed. And King James was angry enough that he followed this group into Holland and got the Dutch ambassador to get on his side and make the attempted arrest of this group. So they had to flee again. So they came up with this crazy idea. You know what? Let's go to this thing we're hearing about called the New World. And so... 28 of the adult members boarded the Mayflower along with 16 of their kids. This is quite a bit less than the group of people that are in this room right now. So they connected up with some merchants, some sailors, some adventurers men and they boarded this Mayflower ship, this rickety old thing, about 100 people total, 44 pilgrims. And then they set foot on Plymouth and had this to say about their vision of why they would do such a crazy thing. In the words of William Bradford, they said this was their vision, a great hope and inward zeal that we had of laying some good foundation or at least make some way thereunto for the propagating and advancing of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in those remote parts of the world, Yea, though they should be, but even as stepping stones unto others for the performing of so great a work. So in the midst of very dark times, spiritually in England, they still had a hope and a zeal that God wants to advance his kingdom in a mighty way. A great hope and an inward zeal. It reminds me of John chapter 2, verse 17, where Jesus says that it was zeal for your house that consumed me, God. That's a great, great word right there. Zeal for your house has consumed me. I see that in the pilgrims here. Zeal for advancing God's kingdom consumed them where they were willing to risk everything to see the kingdom of God advance. And it cost them greatly. Half of them died in the first winter. Yet, it sparked a movement. They were stepping stones into a spiritual foundation that changed the course of history change the course of what became this nation. Just 10 years later, 700 other pilgrims decided to make that same journey in four ships to America. And in that group, a great lawyer named John Winthrop gave a very famous sermon where he declared a vision for America. And in it, he said this, that we must consider that we shall be a city upon a hill. That was the vision for why we are doing what we are doing. To live out Jesus' call as followers of Christ to be a city on a hill that in the midst of dark times there would be a bright light, a lamp, that people would see a city shining on a hill. That has become one of the most famous sermons in U.S. history and countless presidents have Quoted that, hearkened back to it to say, This is the vision, the spiritual vision upon which this nation took shape. And laying that groundwork, a first so called first great awakening took place about a hundred years later. The church was thriving. Thousands of churches had been planted at that point, but the the British crown began to lay heavy on the colonies, and the Spirit of God moved again in the 1730s through the 50s in a way that absolutely clearly laid the foundation for becoming a nation, for the revolution. There was a man named George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, and they preached up and down the, the countryside, and it's estimated that almost 80% of the population in the 1730s and 40s heard those two preachers in person preach the gospel. 80% of the entire population. And and there are stories after stories about how the Spirit of God was moving in those places and salvation was coming and people were were just being swept up into this zeal for God. And out of that, a a preacher named John Mayhew, Jonathan Mayhew, preached a message called the Discourse Concerning Unlimited Submission and Non-Resistance to the High Towers. The passage was Romans 13 about submission to authority. And here's a quote from it. Romans 13, think of our timeline, 1750, Declaration of Independence comes in 1776. These things are stirring in the colony. Romans 13 urges the the duty of obedience from this argument that civil rulers, as they are supposed to fulfill the pleasure of God, are the ordinance of God. But how is this an argument for obedience to such rulers that do not perform the pleasure of God by doing good, but the pleasure of the devil by doing evil? As such as are not, therefore, God's ministers, but the devils. Common tyrants and public oppressors are not entitled to obedience from their subjects, but by virtue of anything here laid down by the inspired apostle. When one magistrate acts contrary to their office, when they rob and ruin the public, instead of being guardians of its peace and welfare, they immediately cease to be the ordinance and ministers of God and no more deserve that glorious character than common pirates and highwaymen. I would have saved me some work a few weeks ago when I was trying to unpack Romans 13 (laughs) if I just had found that one. This sermon was heard throughout the the colony, spread like wildfire, and a young man of 14 years old named John Adams heard it. John Adams Founding father, second president of the United States, and fireball for Christian, for Christianity, for Jesus. And he said in later life, he reflected on this sermon right here, and he said about it, quote, that he read it over and over until the substance of it was incorporated into my nature and indelibly engraved on my memory. And he said that sermon is, quote, the catechism for the American Revolution. great hope, and inward zeal. Then we move to the second great awakening from around 1790 to 1840. The Spirit of God moves again. I'll just highlight one piece of the movement because it's so vast. There's so much going on in each of these. I mean, doing a historical study on awakenings in the United States of America is one of the most faith-building, hope. Growing, zeal enriching experiences that any Christian could do. I mean, you cannot help but be overwhelmed at the incredible faithfulness of God's Spirit to pour out in this nation. It's unbelievable. So, one aspect of this second great awakening was John Wesley, an English pastor, theologian, and evangelist who was leader of a, a revival movement going on in England known as Methodism, or the denomination became Methodism. He sent some of his leaders to America, such as Thomas Koch. They employed this method that's, that's now been called circuit riders, where often it was laymen who would travel by horseback and go from village to village in the remote, expanding parts of the, the western United States. He argued for this notion of personal holiness complete sanctification this idea was that as christians it's not just about salvation or our ticket to heaven but there is forgiveness of sin yes but there is also this process where god wants to eradicate sin from our life in increasing measure i'll take it to 2 corinthians 3:16 to 18 where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom so when we behold jesus face to face we will be transformed From one degree of glory to another in this life is clearly the context of that passage. So there's this healthy notion that sin can be overcome. That we don't just have to remain slaves to sin in this life. Oh, but we got our ticket to heaven. No, it's forgiveness of sin and overcoming sin. And so that was a message that was starting to just burn a zeal, a fire in the nation. But it expanded. This picture was, well, hey, if sin can be overcome, then it's not just a sin in one's own life, but it's a sin in society. And what would it look like to see God move in such a way where so many people come to him and get transformed that not only are personal sins being eradicated, but societal transformation is taking place. Societal sins are being eradicated. And so this second great awakening gave birth to Large-scale social movements where there was desire to uh, the temperance movements, women's rights, and ultimately the desire for the abolition of slavery came right out of this Second Great Awakening. Absolutely. And one of the most famous Methodists of all, which, by the way, if you haven't read about this woman's story, talk about zeal. One of the most famous Methodists of all, an escaped slave who rose to become a powerful abolitionist, a leader of the Underground Railroad, social reformer, deeply charismatic, talking about visions from God all the time. And by the way, she was packing heat the entire time. And she said, even to the old people on her Underground Railroad, if you're holding me back, you're done. I'm serious. I don't, know if she ever, I don't think she ever did it, but that was the message. This is Harriet Tubman. After 19 trips back and forth on the Underground Railroad, from the north to south, never losing a single passenger. Can can we just for a moment think about how miraculous that is? 19 trips back and forth. Successful every single time, never lost one person. People later in her life died at 93. Something, you know, when you serve the Lord fire goes deep into your veins 93 years old so she's asked how is it possible you never lost one person her answer is why it wasn't me not like why but like I'm kind of like why it wasn't me like a little southern woman's accent I don't really have that down so (laughs) pardon the (laughs) pardon the attempt she's not asking why she's saying why it wasn't me it was the Lord I always told him I trust you I don't want to go or, excuse me, I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead. And he always did, That's what she says. Wow! That is some inward hope and fiery zeal right there. I mean, if you talk... Talk about a hopeless situation. I mean, to, to, to be a, a slave in the 1850s. For her to say, nope, I'm not accepting that. I mean, do you know that she prayed, part of her biography, she prayed, she prayed from the time she was a, a young girl. She prayed for her master to be converted. And then as a young woman, when it wasn't happening, she said, all right, God, I'm changing my prayer. Either change his heart. Or kill him and he died and she went free now I don't know exactly what to make of that but she never lost hope she was abounding in hope and zeal and wow what a life moving on to the third great awakening so much again it's, uh, it's, I'm doing an injustice to these awakenings by highlighting one aspect. There's so much great stuff. One element, though, in this one, 1855-1930, to 1930, was the renewed interest in the Holy Spirit, the dependence upon the Holy Spirit, as experienced famously in the Azusa Street Revival. In 1906, William Seymour... Son of a a freed slave. Freed slaves. Started on a three-year revival right there in Los Angeles, Pasadena area. Just in this dependence on God, let's just wait on the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was in some ways utterly simple. But it was this abounding in hope. I believe... Their, their heart was, I believe God wants to pour out and do something that looks like the Bible to where his Holy Spirit fills us up, equips us for power, equips us to be, like Acts 1-8 says, ambassadors for all the world. So they over and over would pray, Holy Spirit, come. And most of you know the story. It came in absolutely remarkable ways to the point where it made the newspaper where like things are going on there. Multiple eyewitnesses reports that the building was on fire, the fire department shows up, and there's nothing to put out. What's going on? It's like the pillar of fire with the people of Israel. Multiple people saw it, And for years, they, were, they, they, they met in this little old, what me, meant excuse me, what at the time was a livestock stable, an old church on Azusa Street, and people would come, and it was night after night, and there's thousands of reports of God's Spirit moving in such a way that people encountered Him like they never had, where there's signs, wonders, healings, miracles, salvations, and this birthed a worldwide movement A worldwide renewal in the interest in the Holy Spirit, which had waned in the midst of dark times. And the Pew Research, Religious Life Research Organization estimates that just a few years ago there was now 500 million Christians in the world that are believing in the power of the Holy Spirit like this, what we might call kingdom-minded, charismatic Christians. So from the the number that it was at the turn of the century, 19th century, or 20th century, excuse me, 1900s, to now, that exponential growth, if you take that and look at it as a religion, charismatic Christianity, would be and is the fastest growing religion in the world. That's encouraging kingdom minded charismatic christians the fastest growing religion in the world it's changing things the global church is thriving a lot a lot of people look at us and they're like what's wrong with the american church where is their zeal where is their trust for god where is the power of the holy spirit and and many i talked to today there was a or yesterday there was an event in on Azusa Street and an, a missionary from India came here and led it. <laughs> That's awesome. Awakening after awakening. So where are we now? Some scholars say there was a fourth awakening, iffy. So what I don't care about the name. Maybe we have a fourth, maybe we need a fifth. Our country, right now, in this moment, is ripe for awakening. R- right now. Right now. I mean, If you want to look in the context of, of, of God pouring out when things are hard, right now. Right now is a good time. There is so much division, despair, hate. What would the, even the, the CDC is telling us that it's time for a revival. When they say that 40% of Americans are going through a health, mental, or emotional health crisis. And I read an article last week that said in California, a similar study was done, and 44% of adults said they are going through similar anxiety or depression in this time. Well, that's bad news, but we can also flip it and say the harvest is plentiful. The world is ripe to encounter the hope of Jesus Christ and to be set on fire with zeal for his kingdom. And there are revival rumbles, by the way. I want to share just a couple, couple quick videos, like a minute each, that are behind the scenes that show that revivals are rumbling. They're coming. So you guys know that two weeks ago, there was the, uh, on Saturday night, there was the attempted execution of those two police officers in Compton, and L.A. Sheriff Alex Villanueva made headlines, you know, national headlines, calling it out and talking about it, and, and so two days later, On Monday, I got the privilege to be on a call with a number of other pastors and Alex Villanueva. I was shocked he showed up. That's good news. I don't know anything about him. I don't know if he's a believer. I don't know if he's okay with God, faith, prayer. Much to my joy, he's on this call. I'm like, why? What? How? With a bunch of other pastors. And I just want to show you, real quick. It was like two hours, but here's, real quick, a piece of encouragement for what the mainstream media is not going to show you. Can happen right after tragedy strikes. But God's spirit is at work. So let's watch this. So I
1: reached when I heard of the tragedy that happened over the weekend, I reached out to Apostle Ronald Hill in Compton. I don't know if the two of you have met before, but he's very well known in LA and the great not only in Compton, but throughout LA and California. And I asked him specifically if he would pray for you and the deputies.
0: Well, that, I'm really appreciative of that, uh, Pastor Hill. We've
1: met yes. before, have we not? Yes, sir, we met before. And I passed 11 Unit Christian Fellowship on the corner of Wilmington, uh, uh just near the freeway. Ah, okay. Wilmington Walnut. And, Wilmington Walnut. Uh-huh. and I wonder could I uh, someday have a sit down with you? Because God has given me an idea that maybe can. Uh, uh, cause younger people to respect respect the sheriffs more than they do and try to create an atmosphere where they can meet some of the sheriffs and have some sheriffs to meet them and hopefully bring about a better relationship between the sheriffs and the young people.
0: I would love to do that. And uh, if I could meet you uh, once this COVID thing clears up a bit, probably after your house of worship, and let's meet some of these young uh, ladies and gentlemen, maybe we can convince some of them to join the department. I'd I love to be able w- 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 to deploy them. It would be wonderful.
1: And after it's over, we'll have a day. Uh, usually, we have uh, during the year, we have an Officer Appreciation Sunday, and we'll invite your officers in and appreciate them and then allow the young people to meet them afterwards and try to encourage them to get involved with um, uh, being, being a sheriff. But uh, I would like to set up a program where the sheriffs can meet them on, a, on an ongoing basis and yes. hopefully uh, assist them uh, in, in many ways so that they would realize that the sheriffs are people just like they are and i think sometimes a lack of knowing each other that creates the problem
0: very true and that is also oh important and uh, i i'd love to participate have our compton deputies participate by all means and uh let's get let's put it together
1: yes we will do that and i want you to know that my heart was broken to see what happened to the sheriffs the other day. I think it was responsible for what took place very evil. And we've been praying for the police there were the sheriffs that were shot. And we wanna pray for you now and the work that you do because I'm imagining that you have a difficult chore, but we're gonna believe that God's gonna grant you to have wisdom and favor with the people you lead and that the community will know that you, you're there to help us and not hurt us. Now, Father, I bring the sheriffs before you and all of the sheriffs that are laboring in southern california so
0: they're <laughs> so good on so many levels there is some major heavy hitters on that call shannon grove is an assemblywoman uh, state assemblywoman in the state of california bob tyler was is the is uh, is a lawyer who's representing a number of the california churches uh, right now that are being you know that are in court for various reasons there was eric treen who's from the uh, the Trump, Trump administration, civil liberties, and religious rights. Uh, Jim Doman, top left, who coordinated the 1,200 churches that opened on Pentecost Sunday. And you saw Alex Villanueva, who is the sheriff of all of Los Angeles County. And that was Apostle Ron Hill from Love and Unity. Uh, and, and so just the fact that that's, that's gathering, that that, that that those people are gathering. This is two days after the officers were shot in Compton. And I'm saying, like... That is some really good news. Why doesn't that clip make it on to CNN? I mean, there is some hope for this country. We don't all have to hate each other and just kill each other. I mean, come on. God, But God's at work. So this is the sheriff humbling himself, willing to come on with a bunch of Christians. I mean, there's like several hundred pastors. So he's, he's coming on, asking for prayer, being willing to pr- be prayed for, and then just has this beautiful exchange right here where the apostle from Compton is reaching out, saying, hey, we, wanna, we, we love you, we wanna pray for you, we, we wanna grow positive relationships. I mean, there is hope. <laughs> there is hope for our nation. It might be a little hidden, but there is hope. We can do it, God can do it. Let's get fired up. There's another one, I wanna show one more quick video and then we'll, we'll be wrapping it up and we'll sing a song uh, to just make this a declaration. But I want to show a quick video, like a minute and a half from Chicago. So this is from the ministry of Sean Foyt, who, if you haven't looked him up, look him up. He is reminding me of these circuit riders from the old uh, revivals, where he's going around right now, and he's just worshiping. He's got a whole crew, awesome sound system, and they just set up in an open park, and they just worship. And they're going into the hardest places of our country right now, that are the quote-unquote darkest, that are, or that have experienced the most strife and tension and, and hatred. So he went into, the, into Seattle, he went into Portland, he went into Chicago, and in Chicago they shut him down. They said you can't have a have a sound a powered sound system. In the other two places they did it, and it was awesome and loud. Baptisms in the lake, they shut him down there. The police did, and and said no, uh you know powered sound systems. But they just so they just pivoted. And ended up making it a huge time where they're just blessing the police officers, praying for them, encouraging them, and then people end up getting saved and baptized as well. So, but let's just look at it. right there on the streets of Chicago last weekend yeah there is hope great reason to be hopeful let us get fired up with zeal one other picture here from just yesterday in, in in Menifee as a prayer walk so several churches gathered and we just prayed for our city we prayed for the leaders we prayed for the upcoming elections we prayed for churches we prayed for the police we cheered for the police as they drove by it was awesome it was it was there was great hope genuine hope. And what was really interesting is that all throughout California yesterday, with, without churches, to my knowledge, talking to each other, there was a number of events where people were coming together, the church was coming together just to pray for our nation, full of hope, worshiping, praying. So in Los Angeles, on Azusa Street, there was an event, a nine-hour event where there was worship, there was prayer, and it was all about revival and awakening in 3 in San Diego there was over 3000 people that gathered from almost 100 different churches and it was called pray sd and they just prayed they walked around like we did where they walked to schools and they walked to government buildings and they just prayed and yesterday in DC there's this happened where somewhere between 50 and 100,000 people these are Christians gathered at the Washington Mall just to pray for our nation and so we've got to believe that there is great hope that in in the way that God has moved in the past he wants to move again and so I want to encourage us that Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever so the way he's done it in the past our hearts can just say do it again Lord and when 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 we're feeling like we don't have hope then we throw ourselves at the throne of grace and we, we look to Romans 15, 13, which we remind ourselves that he is the God of hope and he wants to fill us with his hope. And then as well, we challenge ourselves. We challenge ourselves to Jesus's words to keep the candle burning, keep the fire burning. Do those things that put us around people that are encouraging, that Help us focus on the right promises of God's word, the aspects of God's nature that keep that fire, that zeal for who God is burning and increasing. So I want to pray a prayer for us and have Ryan and the the guys come back up and we're just going to sing one more song. We're going to sing one song along the lines of just let hope and zeal rise. So let's just collectively, collectively as a church family, Uh, sing this as a declaration and I have my wife pray for us and pray for our church and let's just make this the the cry the battle cry of our hearts church that even in the the darkest of times there is always hope and that we can live with an inward fire and zeal so let's give ourselves to the throne of grace towards that end heavenly father we just thank you for your faithfulness to this nation. Thank you that even in a, in, a, in a short, quick survey of seeing these awakenings that have taken place, we can't help but come away encouraged that God, you have been so faithful to bring awakening. And there is no time that has been too dark for your Holy Spirit to overcome with salvation, and healing, and deliverance, and even societal transformation. So Jesus, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we stand with those those saints of old. We stand with the church that's waking up and gathering across the nation right now in such a time as this, some ways publicly, some ways still just bubbling underground, And we say, Jesus, do it again. Do it again. May your spirit revive this land. May salvation crash on these shores again. May healing overwhelm the hearts of people. May your holiness capture us. May your zeal may zeal for your house consume us God none of this contrived we're not talking emotionalism we're the spirit of God to work in our hearts individually and collectively that hope rises and we're set on fire with zeal for your house in Jesus name
2: Lord, we just thank you that you are on the move. We thank you for awakening. We thank you for great awakening. Lord, we invite you, we welcome you, we worship you. You are already here. We know you are already here. You already have millions of angels on assignments in our nation that are just pouring heavenly gasoline for your fire. That happens as we partner with you, as we sing, as we worship, as we say yes to you, as we come with love and unity for others in our nation. Holding and hugging every nation, tongue, and tribe because that's who you died for to make us one in you. And so God, I just, I also just want to say thank you for unity in our nation, for unity and for love unity and love and out of that God with everything that's been going on that we just declare a birthing of unity and love and out of that a revival out of that unity and love a revival God we thank you I just felt like I heard you saying the darkness is no more there is a great light that is rising and so we just say Lord We stand in partnership, in agreement with you for your kingdom to come to our earth, to our nation. We say, let it rise, Jesus. We come and we say, let it rise. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you that this darkness that's been over our land is now being overshadowed with your your light, with your hope, with your love, with your unity. And God, we just um, let, let these stories shine. Let these stories go viral. Let these stories of the testimony of Jesus be what is shared wildly over the internet. And as the testimony of your goodness and your power goes forth, it is the spirit of prophecy, as your word says in Revelation, and it will happen over and over and over and over and let that spread like wildfire. The good news of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the deliverance of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the unity of all people in Jesus. Yeah. In Jesus' name, amen.